Blessed is he that does the Debo on the night of Father's Day and when LeBron James and Steph Curry are duking it out in the seventh game of the NBA Finals. So, Your future affects how you live right now. Take, for example, retirement. Some of you are retired or you're looking to retire. And you would probably say that you shouldn't start retiring at the age of 60, right? You need to retire earlier. It's better to retire starting, or it's better to start investing for retirement right now. The desire to retire at some point in the future is going to, is going to affect how you invest right now. And so in our passage tonight, Paul explains how our future affects what we are investing in, how we are investing in it, and why we're investing in it. So look with me at our passage tonight from 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19. Our passage specifically is verses, or verses 18 through 19. But I'm going to start in 17 to get the, the rest of the context. Listen as I read. Paul, speaking to Timothy, says, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides for us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Paul's outline in this passage is extremely simple. The outline tonight for us is very simple. It mimics that of Paul's. And so the two things that I think we need to get, we need to see from this passage are the result of generosity. And then the second thing, the reason for generosity, the result and the reason for generosity. First, the result of generosity. Paul began our passage by charging Timothy to charge the rich in his congregation to five things. He gives two negative commands and then he gives three positive commands. The two negative commands are that the rich are not to be haughty or to think of themselves better off or better than anybody else because they have wealth. They're also not to set their hope on the uncertainty of riches. But one of the reasons Paul is giving these commands is because there are some in Timothy's church who are using godliness as a means of material gain rather than as a heartfelt response to all Christ has said and done. They desire to be rich at the expense of everything else, which Paul says is actually deserving of condemnation. Understand, right? It's not that the possession of wealth is wrong. It's the loving pursuit of wealth that's wrong. And that's why in the passage before ours, Paul exhorts Timothy to flee these things and to pursue true godliness. You can see that back up in verse 11. And it's to this pursuit of godliness that Paul then addresses the rich in Timothy's congregation. The rich, in verse 17, aren't to be arrogant or to set their hope on something that's uncertain. They're to live in light. They're to live, to, they're to live in light of their hope in God, which is certain. And they do this by not getting for themselves, but actually giving of themselves. Because they don't live for this life, but they actually live for the one that is to come. So look with me there in verse 18, the positive commands. Notice two things in this verse. The first one is that all of these commands, the command to, be, to, be, uh, to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous, 
are the response to God's gracious gifts in verse 17, right? It is God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And the response to that comes from a joy, not in the gift itself, but in the giver of the gift. Now think about this. If your highest joy was in the gift, then we would use the gift for our own gain, just like the false teachers in Ephesus. But if our highest joy is in the giver of the gift, then we would leverage that gift for the benefit of others and for the glory of the giver. You enjoy the gifts by enjoying the one who gave it. These gifts are not to be stored up for, your step, for yourself, but they're, be, they're to be stewarded for the benefit of others. And living this way fosters humility and it squelches pride. The second thing to notice in the verse is that Paul gets more specific with each one. You can notice there in verse 18, they are to do good, which is pretty generic. And then he, he specifies that to say that they are to be rich in good works. But then he clarifies what it actually means to be rich in good works. It means to be generous and ready to share. Now, I don't think that being generous and ready to share is only speaking about money. It is speaking about that, but it's not just speaking about that. Its definition is broader than that, and it means sharing with others anything that you have an abundance of. And so all of us, in one way or another, are rich. After all, to be rich means to have a great deal of whatever you can name, right? And so you may be rich in money. You might be rich in time. You could be rich in a particular skill to which you could serve others with. And so this is what it means to be rich in good works. So to those of you who are money or possessions rich, to whom the primary application of this text is given, and to those of you who just, and kind of to clarify that, who just have a little bit of extra in the bank account or a little extra on hand, how do you steward your wealth? How are you stewarding your wealth? For this is a gift that God has given to you. And how are you stewarding it? Do you try to store it up to use it to benefit? Or do you, do you try to store it up or do you use it in order to benefit others? Do you hold it with an open hand, ready to give it to those who are in need? Or do you try to hoard what God has given to you? One of the best ways to learn about the needs of others is really just to partake in the ministry of presence. What you're doing right now, showing up on a Sunday morning, showing up on a Sunday night, and showing up in a life group. That's where you're going to hear about the needs of members in this congregation. So that if you do have anything that they need, you can richly provide that to them as a model of how God has richly provided to us salvation in Christ. To those of you who are time rich, maybe you're retired or a college student who has a little extra time on his hands this summer or her hands this summer. How are you stewarding your time? I know that there are plenty of couples in this church who are probably dying for a babysitter, right? One of the great ways that you can serve them when you have a little extra time on your hands is to be able to go there and babysit their kids so that they can get a night out. That's just a simple way to be able to serve them. Or maybe if there is a mom who's absolutely exhausted by the end of the week, maybe you go buy her a Starbucks or even better, an Onyx Latte that she would absolutely love. So to mothers of small children, it may seem as if you have no time on your hands, but really that's just how you view time. We all 
in some way or another, have time. And so maybe for some of you, you have time whenever your kids are taking a nap to have some ladies over for fellowship or to be able to disciple a woman who is younger than you. You have time when your kids are taking a nap and you're able to do that. Or maybe it looks like a play date, right? The church that we came from, they had play dates all the time. I never even heard of play date until we got to Third Avenue in Louisville, Kentucky. And so maybe it looks like having a play date with other women where you can fellowship with them while their kids are hanging out, while your kids are hanging out. All of us are rich in something, and it's just a matter of how you're stewarding it. But notice in verse 19 the natural result that comes from being generous. Paul says that they are storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. This does not say that this foundation, right, that is the result, it doesn't say that this foundation is the basis for your generosity, but it's the natural result and the motivation of living a generous life. You don't lose your wealth by being generous. Rather, your generosity stores up a reserve for eternity that you're going to reap when Christ returns. So how do you lay up treasure for yourself later on? It's not by investing in yourself in order to receive more possessions that will eventually just pass away. But it's by investing in the souls of men and women possessed by God that will end up living on for eternity. So why are you to be generous and rich in good works? That brings us to the second point, the purpose for generosity. Paul ends his exhortation here in verse 19 when he's speaking to Timothy about Timothy's congregation. He states that the purpose for this generosity is to take hold and to grasp onto that which is truly life. But notice that in this context, Paul has already explained to Timothy what this true in real life actually is. If you just go back up into verse 12, Paul tells Timothy to fight the good fight. Notice what the DNA of that fight is. It is of the faith. And then notice what he says. He says, take hold of the eternal life. We've heard that before, verse 19. But notice how he qualifies it. To which you were called. Right? So there is a life that is not eternal, that is not real, that is not true. That life is the one that seeks self-fulfillment through the world's propaganda of what true riches are. For them, the present affects how they live now. If your best life really is actually now, then you might as well eat, drink, and be merry, for we all die. Right? However, the true and the real eternal life Paul is speaking about is something that you have already been called to and you will receive whenever you go to be with the Lord and when he returns. You take hold of eternal life because it's already taken hold of you through faith in Christ. And so also, this bucks against the the whole notion of just an easy believism mentality that says that all you need is just a head knowledge of the gospel without living a life of holiness that proves you have saving faith. As if you declare yourself a follower of Christ, but you don't want to be a servant who submits to his lordship. So notice that one of the ways that you prove that eternal life is in you is through actually being rich in good works. It gives evidence of saving faith. And remember that the slothful servant from this morning's passage has his talent actually taken away and he's cast into utter darkness. True faith is one accompanied by a life of godliness 
that stewards what has been entrusted by God. Your sure and certain future affects how you will live right now. So are you stewarding God's gifts to you for this world or for the world to come? You are to be generous and ready to share because God has been generous to you. He didn't have to send his son to pay for your sin. He didn't have to draw you to himself and bring you to repentance and faith and give you the gift of salvation. But in his, in his generosity, he did. The one who is infinitely rich became poor to ransom to ransom you from your spiritual poverty and make you eternally rich with the greatest treasure of all. And that's God himself. This frees you to live the generous life, investing in the souls of others because the farm has already been bought for you through the life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God, Jesus. Brothers and sisters, the dividend that you reap isn't found here but it's found in the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Let's pray.